You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast pace. I don't even know what to say about the Red Sox anymore. Honestly, I need to stop giving Sox predictions. Opinionated. Justin Fields will make the Patriots regret choosing Mac Jones. You just wait for it. To the point. The Pats are a run-first team. Period. End of story. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show on a Thursday right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We've got a full show today, a full 90 minutes as we head up until 7 o'clock. No Red Sox baseball today, no Thunder Road racing tonight, but we will get you ready for Patriots and Eagles in the preseason, and we'll catch up with Red Sox insider, the pre- and post-game show host at Nesson, Tom Karen will be with us at 545. So we had Mutt from WEI, pre- and post-game show host, earlier this week. We got TC on the TV side. I wonder who would win a battle royale between Mutt and TC as the uh, battle for pre- and post-game show host superiority. So. so just based strictly off how they perform on air? No. Physical battle. Oh, physical <laughs> physical combat. Should we, should we? Should it be a baseball combat? I got to figure out. I got to see what Mutt looks like again. Because he's not on... TV, yeah, he's not I, on TV. We have the faces for radio, you know. Yeah, I don't got to see exactly what Mutt looks like again and see how much bigger he or smaller he may be than TC. But TC will be with us at 5:45. You can get in as always on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line 802 585 3026. That's your locally owned Napa store in Waterbury and Morrisville. Part time Jack is here. Jack, Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. With locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber, they're online at sticksandstuff.com. After a whole lot of thinking, and after a whole lot of opining and reading, etc., I have boiled the Red Sox season down to one thing and one thing only. If you're thinking about the Red Sox fate this year, it all comes down to only one thing. And it's really very simple. The Red Sox season comes down to this question. Who do you think is a better pitcher? Garrett Cole or this version of Chris Sale? That's it. That is the only thing that the Red Sox season comes down to. And the reason why that's it is because I have come to the realization that the Red Sox and Yankees are going to meet in the American League wildcard game. Both teams are going to make the playoffs, and neither team is going to win the division. So the wildcard is the end point for both of them. And if the Sox are going to to advance to the main draw of the Major League Baseball playoffs, they're going to need Sale, this version, to be better than Garrett Cole. I was really looking at things today, and reading a lot and listening to a lot, and I was as frustrated as all of you. For as bad as the Red Sox have been, they are going to the playoffs. Okay, August 19th, for as bad as they've been, they've just been swept by the Yankees. Put the tape now, and you can hold me accountable to this. They're going to the playoffs. The only question is, 
Will they be the number one wild card team or will they be the number two wild card team? And will they get to play at home or will they have to play at Yankee Stadium? Let me start with the Yankees and just get them out of the way first. They're going to the playoffs and there's nothing we can do about it. They have the fourth easiest schedule in baseball the rest of the way. Their opponents have a combined 482 winning percentage the rest of the way. And they're only going to presumably get healthier as we come down the stretch. I don't think they're going to catch Tampa right now, but they're certainly not falling out of things. They're going to end up as a wild card. So they're in. As for the Red Sox, I really want to pile on today. I really want to tell you that there's no hope because I I feel so empty inside. But the scheduling gods have helped the Red Sox out too much for me to tell you the sky is completely falling. The Red Sox have the sixth easiest schedule the rest of the way. Their their opponent winning percentage the rest of the way is 485, well under 500. They play 15 games against teams in last or second to last in their division. They will win enough games. They will win enough. I don't know that they're going to dominate over the last 39 games, but they're going to win enough. And the A's who they're battling with are going to fall off. Okay? And that's really what this comes down to. Who do you trust more over the next 40 games, the A's or the Red Sox? And I trust the Red Sox more. So it comes down to two things. It comes Well, the end point is who's better, Sale or Cole. But if you're, follow, if you're looking at one team to think, okay, who are the Red Sox in direct competition with right now? It's no longer the Rays. It's not really the Yankees at this point. It is Oakland. The A's have the second hardest schedule in baseball moving forward, and they just lost their best pitcher. They just lost all-star Chris Bassett. That is a huge deal. If you don't believe me, listen to Jeff Passett of ESPN. Uh, in the end, Bassett's the guy around whom the A's pitching universe revolves. And losing him, even if it is for a few weeks at a time, is a blow for a team that, because of its lack of depth, is going to have trouble backfilling it. The A's will fall out. And the other teams behind them, Seattle and the Blue Jays, I think they're cooked in terms of actually making the playoffs. So, I mean, by process of elimination, the Red Sox are going to get in. The A's, with their hard schedule and lack of Chris Bassett, they're going to be out. Seattle's not as good. They just blew a 7-2 lead in the ninth inning to the Rangers and may end up losing that game entirely. So they're not as good as their nine games over 500 record would indicate. And the Blue Jays... I still think they're good, but there's just too much ground to make up. And with George Springer out probably until the end of August or September, I think their spark plug is kind of gone right now. So by process of elimination, the Red Sox are going to the playoffs. But they're going to meet the Yankees there. The question is, will it be at home or will it be away? And can Chris Sale, this version, be better in a one-game winner-take-all scenario than Garrett Cole? And look, I love Sale's moxie. I love his stuff, I love his attitude, but I take Cole in that matchup. At their at the height of their powers, I can't tell you I would. But Chris Sale's not at the height of his powers. Okay, Brady. So right now, I would take Garrett Cole in that matchup. As of today, I have the Red Sox in the playoffs, and I have them one and done in the wild card. Who says Chris Sale's the best pitcher on the Red Sox in that one-game playoff? Well... I would say that if you look at it, I mean, you could make a case for Rivaldi given what he's done against the Yankees in his career, and he's been good against the Yankees this year. He was even good against the Yankees the other night. You could make a case for Rivaldi, and if you really wanted to skirt the questions of passing over sale, 
you could throw Sale, you know, in the last series against Washington and make him unavailable for that one-game playoff so you don't have to deal with it. But this is what you signed Chris Sale for. This is why he is your ace. We've all been talking about he's the best trade trade deadline acquisition you can get. He's the guy everyone's excited for. It would be a huge insult if you pass Chris Sale over in this one-game playoff scenario. You could make a case for Evaldi, but something tells me the clubhouse is going to give this one to Sale. On the Red Sox-Yankees note, Nick Pavetta pitched yesterday, did not make it out of the second inning, got the loss. After the game... Pavetta said, and I quote, Yes, the Yankees are a good team, but we're better, and we're going to move forward from this. Pavetta, after failing to make it out of the second inning, says we are better than the Yankees. Do you think the Red Sox are better than the Yankees today? 802-585-3026. Jack, I think this comment mm-hmm. by Pavetta stems from a bit of defiance. And a bit of frustration. Sure. And I don't think that Pavetta would say this again today. I think this was a heat of the moment comment. But the fact is, he still said it. And I think at this point, Nick Pavetta is wrong. Yeah, well, but this is nothing new. It's nothing new in sports. LeBron goes to Miami. We're not here to win one, or two, or three, or four. Okay. He's, he's just blowing smoke. He's, of of but, course he's going to say, we're better than the Yankees. The, Yank- the Red Sox won the first nine meetings against these same guys. Now, they're a little bit better. They're a little bit healthier than they were in June, May. But, of course, Pavetta's going to say that. He's not going to roll over like Pedro did 14 years ago and say, the Yankees are my dad. Yeah, you don't have to say that. You don't have to say the Yankees are better than you, but there's a more artful answer to that right now where he can say, you know what? They're a good team. We're a good team, too. We'll play the next 40 games and see where we end up. Can we play a little imaginary scenario right here? All right, you're Brady Farkas. You just pitched, and you did not pitch well, okay? Okay. You got a, you got a Gatorade towel around your neck. You're sweating bullets. You just want to go take a shower. You're worried about what your wife's cooking for dinner. And I come up to you, and I'm like, Brady, do you really think that you gave, that, you, that at the end of the day, you guys are the best version of yourselves right now, and you can beat this team moving forward? I would say I think we can. But right now, we have to take care of us, day by day, one day at a time. All the other cliches that athletes are trained to give should have been applied here. At one point this year, the Red Sox were better than the Yankees. Actually, at multiple points this year, they were better than the Yankees. When the Yankees were running out Chris Gittens at first base, the Red Sox were better. When the Yankees were playing people named Trey Ambergi, Shout out, Vermont Mountaineers alum, Trey Ambergi. When they were playing him, when they were playing Tim LaCastro, when they were playing Rob Brantley, when they were pitching somebody named Nick Nelson and somebody named Justin Wilson, the Red Sox were better. But right now, they're not. The Yankees have gotten hot at the right time. They now have a more balanced lineup. They have seemingly an endless supply of bullpen arms that throw 107 miles an hour. They've adapted and they've readapted. Listen to this nugget from Sean McAdam of the Believe in Red Sox podcast. Yeah, the, the Yankees have stolen more bases since the All-Star break than any team in baseball. The Yankees. I love that. Who we think of as nothing, as, as home run or nothing, have, have adapted and learned to play a different way, and it has served them well. Look, they're not perfect, which is why I don't think they're going to win the World Series. I don't think they're better than Houston. I don't think they're better than the White Sox. I don't think that they're better than Tampa. They are far from perfect. They have flaws as well. 
the back end of their bullpen, the issues with Britton and now with Chapman, again, they have real issues, but they are good enough. They are better than the Red Sox now, and they are good enough to best the Red Sox over the course of 162. And they're only getting healthier. Guys off the COVID list, guys back from injury. Like, I get it. Pavetta's frustrated. All the Red Sox look frustrated. Cora does. Bogarts does. Everyone does. And I get where Pavetta's comment comes from. He doesn't want to realize. He doesn't want to admit what is happening to him, what is happening to the team. But he is wrong. Right now, the Red Sox are not as good as the New York Yankees. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I think we're headed for Red Sox-Yankees in the playoffs yet again. Do the experts see it that way? Nesson, pre- and post-game show host for the Sox, Tom Karen, St. Michael's College graduate Tom Karen. TC is next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on a Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox fall last night to the Yankees, swept in the Bronx in that three-game set over two days, and enjoying a much-needed off day today. Joining us now is the voice of the Red Sox on the pre- and post-game show on Nesson. It's our buddy Tom Karen, St. Michael's College graduate. TC, good to speak with you. How are you? Good, Brady. How you doing? Good. Good to talk with you. I want to talk about your experience at this past weekend's Travis Roy Wiffle Ball Tournament here momentarily, but I want to start with the Sox. Um, we are at the off day right now. What do you think should be happening inside the walls at Fenway Park on this off day? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, probably more than anything, nothing. They should get those players as far away from the ballpark as they can, try to get away from the stench of the last couple of days. Uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, you've hit the uh, worst possible case of everything coming apart at the same time, right? Uh, the, the starting pitching had been better, and suddenly the hitting went south, hitting came back around, and then the pitching was in their bullpen, which has held up the weight of short starts all year, has collapsed. So, you know, as I said last night at the Buzz Game Show, it's like that first car you had when you, you know, when I was at St. Michael's College, I had my first wagon that I uh, was able to save for. And, you know, the engine light to come on, you get it checked, and you figure out what you're going to fix. you got to fix that. Also, the battery won't start. you got to fix that. And then the oil light comes by. There's something, there's a leak springing up uh, in every part of this team right now. They've got to get it together. The good news is, they got a, a, a schedule now with the next nine teams they face have losing records. So they're not going to see the Yankees here for a while. You know, I just made this point a few minutes ago. I think by process of elimination, I've come to the conclusion that we're going to see Red Sox-Yankees in a wild card game because I think yeah, the Rays are going to win. The, feel that way. Yeah, I think yeah. the Rays win the division. And given what happened to Chris Bassett and the A's schedule, I think they fall out of it. I don't think Seattle and Toronto are good enough. So do you think we're headed for Red Sox-Yankees in the playoffs? I do. I think that's the most likely uh, right now, although Seattle is starting to worry me. They've got a little something going on in the Northwest. North Coast's got to go up there and play three games in a few weeks. <clears throat> and as you know, things are that's the worst. That's the road trip. If you look at the Red Sox schedule, the, the White Sox-Mariners road trip is the one that uh, that I would be concerned about right now. But White Sox are really good, and the Mariners got a little something going. Toronto, I thought, would really get back in it. Uh, but but they've uh, disappointed uh, their fans and, he, and they don't play the Red Sox again, so it becomes really hard for them to catch the Red Sox. Uh, you listen, the schedule's favorable. Thirty nine games left. The majority of them are against teams that right now have a losing record. But until you prove 
you can beat good teams, and the Red Sox have not proven that to anybody yet. Uh, you can't take this team seriously for a deep part of the playoffs. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider over at Nesson, host of the pre- and post-game show, and he's here with us on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. TC, there's a lot of things to be frustrated before this, but I am frustrated by the usage of both Jaron Duran and Tanner Houck. And the reason being, like, I thought these guys were the crown jewels of the farm system. They were untradeable pieces. And if they were untradeable pieces, they should be allowed to just go. And Houck has the training wheels on, and Duran can't play against lefties. So it's like, are these guys as good as we thought, or is the team being unnecessarily uh, conservative with them? Well, let's look at them separately. First of all, Hauk, I don't know if it's training wheels or if it, they're still really concerned about his ability to get batters out for a third time. Uh, I think the batting average against him third time through the order is over 600. Uh, and, and that's what happened the other day. You know, the first game of the doubleheader, he only threw 50-something pitches and, and seemed to be cruising through two, but they yanked him quick. Now, if Garrett Whitlock does his job, and he's been really good all year, uh, then nobody's talking about this, but he doesn't do the job. Josh Taylor's suddenly struggling, and so the bullpen collapses. But, uh, you know, and they go back two starts ago for Hauk over the weekend. He, he was left in there third time through the order, and they got to him. So I, 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 I do think that that slider, which is so devastating, I think guys start to time it out. His, you know, ongoing battle to learn a third major league pitch is, is what's going to define him as a starter. So, I think Hauk's fine. I just think, like so many other teams in, in this modern analytics age, that they just don't uh, trust uh, him right now third time through the order. We'll see when and how that changes. As for Jaron Duran, I, I mean, I think Jaron Duran's got a great future with this team. I'm just not sure the future is now. And here's what I think, is I think they were at their best when Kike Hernandez was in center field and, and Christian Arroyo was at second base. Yeah. And I think the loss of Christian Arroyo uh, has been one of the underreported stories of this team. Now, he's going to play for Worcester tonight, weather permitting, as his rehab gets ramped up. Uh, I, I, You know, him at second base and Kike in center field, now you got Schwarber, who can play the outfield a little bit. Uh, is he, I know he's going to play first base eventually, but I worry about that because you saw Christian Arroyo go down in the third inning of his first game at first base, and he's younger then Schwarber and didn't have a pre-existing hamstring condition, which now Schwarber has. So I, I worry a little bit about, oh, just throw him at first base. Anybody can play. Not anybody can just play first base. And, and you saw what they got to last night with that lineup. Uh, you know, and I get it. You're trying to maximize the bats and, and the matchups because the, the offense has gone south. But you had Hunter Renfro in center field. He's a much better corner outfielder. You had J.D. Martinez in right field, where he hasn't played much. He's a better left fielder and an even better designated hitter. And and Bobby Dahlbeck at first base, means you don't have any other option. Sure enough, it was Rizzo with the ground ball to Dahlbeck. He couldn't make the play two-run score. Earlier that inning, the fly ball to right field. Would have taken a really good play, but a lot of right fielders do make that catch. J.D. Martinez couldn't. Uh, all that leads into the collapse, and that four-run second inning winds up being the game. Tom Karen, Red Sox insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So all told, TC, what's your, I don't even know if at this point it's confidence level or concern level. Just overall, how do you feel about this team right now? Well, I mean, it's funny. I look at it two ways. Now, listen, I mean, six weeks, a lot of baseball, 39 games left. Uh, I, I was looking back at 2004, and it was really August 16th 
when that team got its act together and wound up winning 13 out of 14 down the stretch in August and never looked back, won a World Series. Uh, I'm not sure this team has that in them, but, you know, Chris Dale's starting tomorrow, and Chris Dale, we know, is, is certainly not only a very good pitcher, an elite pitcher, but he's also a guy who brings a lot of energy and a spark to this team, and they need it badly. Uh, Schwarber's going to get more time. I'm disappointed he didn't play last night in, in New York, and I know he played both games with a doubleheader, but a uh, really important game, and, and you never got him in that bat. Uh, that's disappointing to me. So, I don't know. I look at it two ways. I, I still think they're a wild card team. You look at Fangraphs, who does a good job with projections. They've still got them as a wild card. Uh, I, I just think the schedule factors in. You're going to have, I think it's six of your final 13 games are against the Baltimore Orioles, who are right now playing the worst baseball in, in, in Major League Baseball. Maybe minor league baseball too, and and I and you know I so I think they get in the the the, the wild card. Uh, I think it would be incredible drama to have uh, uh, the revenge of 1978 as the theme for the one game playoff in October between the Red Sox and Yankees. I think that's what we're headed for because I think you're right. I don't think either team catches Tampa. Although looking ahead now, after these uh, next nine games against the AL Central. The Sox play Tampa seven times in 11 days. So that's going to be a stretch that could make or break everything for the Red Sox. You know, if they play like they are right now against good teams, they're 2-11 and 11 against teams with winning record uh, over the last two weeks. So if you go in those seven games and, and lose five or six out of seven, you might be done for the wild card, too. Uh, so they're going to have to beat good teams if they want to make the playoffs and, and if you want to do anything in the playoffs. And I – listen – Back in January, if you told me they were going to be a wild-card team, I would have said that is a tremendous success after how horrible they were in 2020. But listen, they've raised the expectations. There's no doubt about that. Losing a wild-card game would not go down as a satisfactory season for this team. I think at the very least, you've got to be able to play in a series. You've got to make it to the ALDS. Uh, if you lose that five-game series, depending how, you know, I go back to 2016, you know, they swept by Houston. Yeah. We're all excited they made the playoffs. And they're like, yeah, oh, that stunk. You know, you don't win a playoff game. It doesn't feel very good at the end. So I think you got to win a playoff game. you got to make it to a series. Uh, and then, then I think when the dust settles, you feel good about this team. But the fact that this whole collapse coincides with High and Bloom not making a major move other than Schwarber at the deadline uh, really just uh, infuriates a lot of fans. TC, get you out of here on this. You were up here this past weekend for the Travis Roy Wiffleball Tournament, the 20th and final Travis Roy Foundation Wiffleball Tournament. I understand that my boss, Steve Cormier, got you to pop up in the celebrity game, so we'll let that one slide. But overall, <laughs> what was your weekend like here uh, at Travis Roy? Uh, he did get me to pop up. Uh, there's no <laughs> doubt that, uh, that that he had a little spot. I think he's using some of that spider tack. Yeah. Uh, I didn't... I didn't ask uh, about uh, anything to, uh, to, to check that, uh, but good. I think uh, we got smoke. So congrats <laughs> to, to his team. It's an amazing event. Uh, anybody who's been up there knows how special it is. But this one especially, you know, we didn't have it last year because of uh, COVID. Uh, and now we had it uh, for the first time since we lost Travis in October. Uh, Travis being the, the truly selfless person that he was, uh, made it one of his wishes that uh, he didn't leave a burden or, or create jobs uh, for people to have to put this thing together every year. So he asked the foundation to, to, to give away the money and make grants and shut its doors uh, in 2022. That'll happen. There'll be some kind of event. There'll certainly be plenty of things that carry on Travis's legacy, but it won't be the same as these last 20 years. An event 
that 20 years ago started with four teams playing in the rain all weekend in the mud. They raised $4,000 and that was the greatest event ever. Uh, over the weekend, they raised nearly $1.2 million in three days of wiffle ball. Just an, an incredible number. Travis had set the goal of a million dollars for this 20th uh, event, and uh, everybody came together. Uh, but the emotion was everywhere. So many people. It was, In many ways, it was the celebration of Travis's life that, that a lot of people never got to get. The family had one at their uh, place in Vermont uh, back in July, but, but the, the people who were a little further connected to to Travis, and, and Travis was one of those individuals that if you spent five minutes with him or, or you knew him on and off for, for 25 years as I did, uh, you, you always felt you had an authentic, genuine, special connection to him because that's how he made everybody feel. And uh, all those people who had those connections came together over the weekend. A lot of laughs, a lot of stories, a lot of tears, uh, but, but mostly uh, just a lot of money raised. Uh, in memory of, uh, uh, of one of the most inspirational people I have ever met in my life. So congrats to everybody who came together, all the volunteers who worked so hard to make that uh, that event special because there's been 20 of them, but this is by far and away the most special. Well, it was a great weekend. I was there for a bit on Saturday. I know you were there on Friday and Saturday, and uh, well said there as well. Tom Karen, Nesson Insider for the Red Sox, host of the pre- and post-game show. You watch them every single night. So, TC, we appreciate you, and we will talk to you again down the road. Thank you, Brady. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your time as well, TC. Great stuff from TC. Always great to see him in person. Caught up very briefly in person on Saturday afternoon and well stated and well said on what he said about the Travis Roy tournament. Certainly a uh, an inspiring weekend. We covered it on Monday's show, but uh, you can't cover it enough because you just walk out of there feeling more uplifted and not having Travis there was certainly different, but... Uh, you know, in some ways, it was a perfect send-off for a lot of people that didn't get an opportunity to give one that they would have wanted. So there is going to be a Travis Roy documentary coming out in October on Nesson. I'm looking forward to watching that. I'm sure the TC will be a part of that as well. And on the Red Sox, Jack, TC makes a good point. Yeah. Like, we talk about the Red Sox schedule, and it, we acknowledge it is easy. And you end with Washington, who stinks, and you play Baltimore a lot, but... Those seven games in 11 days against the Rays are, in, are a pocket of the schedule oh, that we hadn't really thought about. Like, overall, yeah. the schedule is easy, and I think that the Red Sox, again, get to the playoffs. But it is um, certainly discouraging to hear seven games in 11 days against Tampa. That's one that I will mark on my calendar to log off Twitter and yeah. just make sure I'm not there. Because we're, we're, we're talking about Minnesota, Texas... Seattle, and then we think, oh, yep, they got to go play. They got to go play Tampa Bay, and then they also got to go play Chicago. Yeah, the White Sox are very, White, very good. The White Sox are too good. As it stands right now, by the way, the Red Sox have lost a, some ground in the wild cards in the wild card race. They are officially out of the playoffs as it stands today. They were tied with Oakland. Oakland beat the White Sox today by a score of five to four, so they move a half game ahead of the Red Sox right now. Seattle is. It was tied 7-7. They have just taken a two-run lead on Texas. They're up 9-7, so they can pick up a half game. But, again, they're playing from behind there. So, uh, Jack, we're going to have to play the 10-second legal ID because I want to get you the proper tease here as we send it to the CBS News, up, uh, CBS News update. So we will step aside. We'll get the national news update from CBS, and then we'll get you ready for Patriots football. Pats and Eagles tonight at 7.30. There's one obvious thing that we're all looking at in tonight's game. But the other two I'm focused on? 
a little less obvious. I'll tell you that. That's next right here on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on a Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. The show brought to you in part by Evan Holstrom Racing. Evan Holstrom is an 18-year-old race car driver out of Northfield, Vermont. He's a driver in the Pro All-Star Series for the Super Late Models. Remember, we won't have Thunder Road Racing tonight because of the rain here on WDEV, so that's very disappointing. Evan Holstrom doesn't race often at Thunder Road, but when he does, he's been the youngest ever to qualify for the Vermont Milk Bowl. So if you want to uh, continue to support local drivers and kind of get in on drivers right at the ground floor, Evan Holstrom is a guy that you're going to want to be following along with EvanHolstromRacing.com. You ever raced cars? No. No, no, is that a bucket list item or? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I enjoy watching Thunder Road. We've been to it. We got WDEV night coming up again in September. So, yeah. um, you know, I'll go to it. I don't need to drive at high speeds, though. I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, we'll get to the Patriots in a second. But I noticed you have on the TV in your studio the Little, the Little League World Series. Oh, no, I have ESPN, too. Oh, well, Little League World Series was on there earlier. So, yeah. uh, it's cool to see the Little League World Series back. Oh, my God. It's, That's one of my favorite events. As you get older, yeah. you will like it less. It used to be one of my favorite events, too. I still love the ambiance of the Little League World Series, but like I used to make a point to watch every game of the whole tournament. I, and now I watch just when it's on. Yeah. But um, anyways, it's a little different this year. There's no international teams because of COVID, so there's two... There's two U.S. representatives from every region. So the regional finalists both got to advance. So like in New England, Essex Town was the Vermont representative. If they had just finished in the top two of the tournament, they would have gotten in. So it was Connecticut and New Hampshire that went and represented New England. Uh, and uh, Connecticut's already lost today. New Hampshire plays, I believe, tonight at 7. But anyways, nope. I've been to the World Series. The Little the League World Series. In, in, uh, Williamsport? Yeah, it was a blast. I was only there for one day. I was there for a couple of hours. I just ironically had the uh, memory on my social media channels come up to me yesterday. So yesterday was the... I guess like eight year anniversary of when I was there, but it was so much fun That's and uh, you know free to get into, really really cool. Um, Joe Torrey was there; he was getting honored by something. Nomar was there; he mm-hmm. was working for ESPN at the time. I saw uh, Mexico and Panama play each other on the international side. Connecticut and Washington played on the U.S. side. Delaware, I remember seeing as well. So it was very very fun. I highly recommend going to Williamsport and. It's, I guess Sunday is probably the day, but Sunday yeah. is going to be the day they do the Little League Classic yeah. over at uh, at uh, in Williamsport, where they play a big league game. It's going to be Cleveland taking on the Angels. Those jerseys are sick. Have you seen those? They look exactly like the Little League jerseys. Yeah, so in year. the past, they've done the Players Weekend, where the players wear like, nicknames well, on they, their jerseys. They do that, too. But I'm saying in the past, the teams at the Little League game have, oh, worn, yes. the, have worn those jerseys. This year they're doing it with a region like at the Little League World Series. So Cleveland's wearing ones that say Great Lakes, and the Angels are wearing one that says West. So it looks yeah. very cool. It's it's it's. I'm happy the Angels are there because this story of the year is Otani, mm-hmm. and you know how quickly ten through twelve year olds' minds change. Like Otani is going to be the favorite player of a lot of these players. So the fact that Otani is there is awesome. I hope Trout, even though he's hurt, I hope he goes too so that U.S. players can go. I don't know because of COVID and traveling and all that if guys who aren't playing right now are allowed to go, but it would be a great thrill for the Little Leaguers to see Trout there as well. 
kind of stinks that the you know because of no international teams, no team Japan there, so they can't hang out with Otani. Well, yeah, that would have been sick. Which would have been cool. So I, we just talked. You know, ironically, last week we had the. Uh, Field of Dreams game, mm-hmm. and everyone's like, "Oh, what? It's one of the best things that baseball's done in forever." Did they forget that the Little League World Series game that came out like three years ago so, was so, the previous best thing they'd ever done? So, like, that's a good question because obviously the Little League World Series was the first, you know, thing that it was like the first. It was like their first adventure outside of the thirty ballparks in America. But the Field of Dreams, it made a movie come to life. It made a movie oh. a reality, and I think that's why it topped. The the London series that they did a couple yeah. years ago, and it also topped the uh, Little League World Series Classic. I, I think the Field of Dreams was a home run. I hope they do the Sandlot. I hope they do all kinds of cool, uh, all all kinds of cool fantasy sets. Yeah, the Field of Dreams game was awesome. And yeah. and I'm not here to pit them against each other, but the Little League game is also awesome. Oh yeah, so. it's awesome. Uh, but no Vermont team ever made it to the Little League World Series. My my boys, my friends who were my age group. Got oh so close, they got one win away. And this year, being one win away would have gotten you into the tournament. Into the tournament. So, uh, Little League World Series is back. Started today. We had a couple of games uh, already in the books. So, very, very cool. I'll make sure to watch some of that. What I'll be watching tonight, though, is Patriots football. Patriots, Eagles, 730. The game's going to be broadcast on WCAX. So, 802-585-3026. What do you want to see from the Patriots game tonight. What are you looking for? We all know we're watching the quarterback battle. Okay, I know it and you know it. You care most about Mac Jones and Cam Newton. We all do. I'm not even going to focus on that. So my three non-Mac Cam storylines are as follows. The number one thing that I want to see, I want to see Nelson Aguilar play for this team tonight and play well because the Patriots really need Aguilar to be good. Jack, he's been hurt for summer camp. He came back this week, and he's had a dose of the dropsies. And, like, he's had the dropsies for a lot of his career. He was great last year for Vegas. But by and large, when he was in Philly, he's been a guy who's been prone to dropping passes. And now it's become really noticeable in Patriots camp that he continues to have those issues. Phil Perry of the Patriots media, he's taking notice on it. Is Nelson Aguilar going back to being Nelson Aguilar? He... It's what he's been all camp, and you have fought me on this. You have fought me hard. He drops the football every once in a while. It's not every throw, and he does get separation. So when it comes to Bill Belichick's two tenets of playing the receiver position, get open and catch it, he does the first one really well. It's the second one that's an issue sometimes. This team needs Nelson Aguilar really badly this year if they want to succeed. One of the things that I thought was so genius about how the Patriots spent all that money this offseason is that they diversified their offense at all levels. Like, right, Jack? Like, they diversified their offense at all levels. We know they can run the football. So the offense... Now, we know they can run. With Jacoby Myers, the offense has the underneath stuff already covered. With Kendrick Bourne, they have the intermediate stuff already covered. They have that over-the-middle stuff done with the tight ends. And Aguilar is their deep threat. He's their home run. They have every level covered. But they have to get production from all of those levels. I don't think that this team is going to take a ton of shots downfield. Or rather, I think they'll take calculated shots down the field. I think they're going to bait you and bait you and bait you into trying to stop the run. And then they're going to hit you with the deep ball. They need to make those limited deep balls count. 
And if Aguilar is going to drop the football, that's going to severely hamper the offense because you can't afford to let limited shots down the field go by the wayside. I mean, drops happen. I mean, the best of the best drop passes. Aguilar dropped five last year. Guys ahead of him on that list, DK Metcalf, Alvin Kamara, Tyreek Hill, Ezekiel Elliott. Like, guys drop passes. How many passes did Aguilar get thrown last year? How many, how many, how many catches did he have, Rad? You're, you're putting me on the spot. Cracked research here. Give me, a, give me, give me fill, fill some time and I'll get you that answer. <laughs> Hold on. I'll just get it right now. So, look, he was great last year for Vegas. I understand that. But when you look at, I'd have to look at, you know, the percentage. He had 48 catches last year. Oh, you beat me too. If he had 48 catches last year and five drops, that's not a particularly good percentage. You talk about Metcalf having more drops. I bet Metcalf had, you know, 100 catches last year. Uh. 83. Okay. I mean, so he had double the catches almost that Aguilar did and had barely more drops. And you talk, so nonetheless, it's, he can't, it's percentages. Yeah. He can't afford to drop the football. So Aguilar's a guy that I want to see play, and we haven't seen the full list of inactives yet, but we, I want to see Aguilar play, and I want to see him play well. And this kind of plays in, Jack, to what Kay Adams of the NFL Network said earlier today on Good Morning Football. Wide receivers, I am desperate to find something good out of one of these wide receivers, mainly their first-round pick, Nikhil Harry, who has 400 yards over the last two seasons. You've got to do something. The team is desperate for someone to emerge as a number one receiver. If Matt Jones is going to take over at some point, it's going to be hard to have success as a pocket passer without somebody to believe in. Oh, I thought that music was me. <laughs> no. Adams is right. The wide receivers in general are big. Aguilar's the guy I'm focusing on, but she's right. This is another chance for Nikhil Harry. And I think at this point, they're all big chances for Nikhil Harry because at some point, you have to produce in a game situation. He's got the body. He's got the physicality. He looks great in the uniform. He's been great in individual drills. He's looked great in seven-on-seven work. He needs to finally translate that to real game play. If he wants to make this team, he needs to show up. And if he wants to be traded, he needs to show up. Because otherwise, he's going to just get cut and lose out on a bunch of money. He needs to show up. And this team tonight, although we haven't seen the full list of inactives, it's highly likely that Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry are both not going to play tonight because of injuries. So the two tight ends that you're counting on are not going to be there. So there's going to be more chances for wide receivers. And Harry played more snaps than any skilled player last week. They need him to do something in this game. Without the tight ends there, and with him largely playing a lot of plays again, show me something. Show me that you can get open. Show me that you can separate. Show me that you can turn a physical skill set into a practical application. I just for I mean it makes sense. It makes sense. You want to see the you want to see the receivers do well. But and Nikhil Harry, I think the patch of trade Nikhil Harry, no matter what. I mean, you're saying he's before show, camp, not before. I think okay, good question. Nikhil Harry traded at the trade deadline. Maximize his value. If this team, you're Mister. The Red Sox made a mistake by not cashing in on this year. Yep. Okay? I was Mr. Hold on to prospects. Yep. And you're like, no, give up the world to go win I the World Series this year. I didn't say give up the world. I just said give up the right pieces. Okay. If the Patriots are good you and, and Harry is playing well, you want to go trade him in the midst of a good season, that, yeah. that would not be because the Because of all the names you've mentioned. He's got three years 
on his contract, potentially. If Nikhil Harry busts out this year, I'm keeping him and maximizing that value for myself. He'd have two years left on his deal after this year. Continuing on, things I want to see tonight. Number two for me is I want to see the offensive line. And the offensive line is something that we've taken for granted. Now, the reports at a camp have been that the line hasn't looked that great. Third play of the game last week, Chase Young destroyed Isaiah Wynn, sack fumble for Cam Newton. Okay, well, that's I the get it. greatest football player of our generation. One of the. The greatest football player of our generation. One of the defensive. One he's of the greatest played defensive one football. season. He's yeah. not Reggie White yet. Yes. He's, he's, he's phenomenal. He's insane. He's probably going to be better than Aaron Donald. He's phenomenal, but easy there. Um, earlier in the week, we heard that the Eagles' D-line was the superior unit to the Pats' offensive line. Now, it's obvious and cliche to say this. The... Like It all starts up front for any NFL team, but the offensive line is going to be imperative for the Patriots this year. Imperative. They don't have a mobile quarterback. Mobile quarterbacks cover up for poor offensive line play, but the Pats don't have one. No matter how you slice it, they're not mobile. Cam is not a play extender. He's a put-my-head-down-and-just-go guy. So if the line breaks down and Cam takes off, He's running and ultimately sliding. He's not shimmying, going left, going right, uh, 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 oh, 20 yards down the field. He's not creating something out of nothing. Cam is a put-my-head-down-and-go guy. You aren't getting a big pass play off a scramble drill from Cam. He's not the runner. And also, by the way, we know that one of Cam's biggest faults as a thrower is he isn't the quickest at going through his progressions. He's going to need more time to scan the field than other quarterbacks do. The line needs to give him that time. If Cam's the quarterback, line needs to protect him. Line needs to give him time to scan his reads. And he's not going to be a scramble drill guy. And if Mac Jones is the quarterback, he's a rookie. He's the future. We'd like to keep him upright. If the pocket collapses on him, that's where indecision and turnovers happen. And the Patriots can't afford that. This line has to be good this year, and I'd like to see it start tonight. When you get a second, I just sent a text in the, in the, in the text line here. It is a link to one of the greatest touchdowns I've ever seen a Patriots quarterback create. And it happened last year. It happened last year. And it is of Cam Newton extending a play, making something happen. I, this is the kind of Cam Newton that we expect to see this year. The one that I just sent you. It's a yeah, touchdown. I'm, it's against in that the game Bills. against Buffalo on Monday Night Football where they could beat like 49 to 13. They just got absolutely murdered. Uh, it was but, a great play. But yeah, that's what, Cam is a good runner. Cam is not a. He's not a play extender. So if the pocket breaks down, Cam's taking off and it's turning into a six to ten yard run. It's not turning into a scramble drill home run play. The offensive line needs to be good for whoever the quarterback Pats is. Pats have a top five offensive line in football, though. That's what we think. Well, that's what it and, was last year. That was what PFF created them. And it's expected to be good again. And you bring back Trent Brown and David Andrews is healthy. It should be good. And I'm sensitive to the fact that there's so little hitting in camp now that it's going to take the line a little bit to get going because they just don't play that much football anymore in camp. So I'm sensitive to that. But... The reports have been the line is not particularly good. I'm looking for it to look more like we expect it to beginning tonight. The third thing that I want to watch is I want to see Kyle Duggar. The second-round draft pick last year out of Division II, Lenoir Ryan, who we all laughed at for the Patriots taking in the draft with their who, first overall pick. 
presuming he plays tonight, I want to watch him and see what he does. I think this guy is a big deal for this team this year. And I'm really excited to see how they use him because we're seeing this increasingly more and more in the league where there's a safety hybrid who can do a bunch of things and just be a playmaker. And that's what Duggar is. You can put him in traditional coverage. You could use him as a linebacker. Bring him off the edge in a blitz situation. You can rush the quarterback. I love the idea of using him like a torpedo who just makes plays. And Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston, was talking about this back like three weeks ago. There is a creeping around the line of scrimmage that Duggar is doing. Almost in a Palomalo-esque way. And the Patriots don't often have their guys creeping to that extent. Sometimes you'll see him show a little bit and back off. But he's hiding and creeping around. I am very excited about perhaps using that skill set from him and Uche going forward in that way. Notice what he said there. Palomalo-esque. I love that. Big shoes. Okay. Think about some of the great safety playmakers. Palomalo, Ed Reed. Cam Chancellor, currently Jamal Adams, Landon Collins. They all have the ability to just be playmakers. They're not boxed into just being safeties who play in the back end. They're playmakers. That's what I'm interested in out of Duggar. Those are the things that I want to see tonight. Some of the experts have other things that they're interested in. We'll get to that in about 20 minutes. But, Jack, real quick, let's get to who's saying what because it plays off what we were just talking about. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. <laughs> I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. They really said that? Having him back in the dugout obviously makes me want to beat them more. We don't like those guys. They don't like us. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB-AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Now, I'm jazzed up to watch this game tonight. I was all jazzed up to watch the game last week. I was jazzed up to watch the rookie quarterbacks play last week. I watched a little bit of Trevor Lawrence. I watched a little bit of Justin Fields. I watched highlights of Trey Lance. Field Yates of ESPN, friend of the show, Field Yates, says he's hyped about the preseason as well. Justin Fields could have been playing Ohio State. Not at Ohio State, like playing against Ohio State. And I would have been thrilled to see him. It felt like yesterday was one of the more enjoyable individual preseason debuts that I've experienced in quite some time. So he talks about the preseason adding joy to his life, and I like the preseason as well. You hate preseason football. Why? That's a strong word, Brady. You texted me earlier this week, and you said the preseason gets entirely too much hype. 100%. Why? Every preseason does. Do you think that's not relevant? I think that you are getting excited over games that do not matter in the long run. We are going to look back at the 2020 preseason, or excuse me, the 2021 preseason. It's going to get grouped into every other preseason. We all talk about how awesome it is that football is back but football is back when the draft happens it's back when mini camp happens it's back when training camp happens it's back at the hall of fame game and then it's back for week one there's five times right there that football is back football can be back one time entirely it gets way too much hype people make way too over they over predict everything that happens the best part about preseason football is the quarterback battles because the most prominent player on your team, the guy that you're that your coach is trusting for the entire season. I love the quarterback battles and New England seemingly has one on their hands right now. And I also love the passion that comes out of Chicago because here in Chicago fans go the Bears never gets old. <laughs> but uh, but in and in, in all in all, I can't get behind the whole preseason 
ultimate coverage. It gets way, it gets way, way too much hype. I think preseason football is relevant for a few reasons. There's a few reasons why I like it. It's our only chance before the season ever to see players. Like, I disagree. It's our only chance. Like in other sports, you can see guys play in other forums, right? Like. We got the Arizona Fall League in baseball you could follow. We got Dominican Winter Ball, Caribbean League World Series. You have some guys and prospects that you care about playing in other places. So you've already seen a lot of them before spring training happens. Like you don't need spring training necessarily to see guys. You've already, if you really care, you've had chances to see them already. But, but, but in basketball, but, but, but no. In basketball, we just had the Olympics. So we get a chance to see more guys play there in the offseason. You can watch Summer League to learn about your rookies. You can get a feel for at least your new guys before the season. In football, this is our only chance. Like, this is it. And it's also important because it's a chance for us to see the guys that are going to fill out the roster. And in spring training, you're seeing a bunch of guys you know are destined for the minor leagues. In preseason football, you're seeing... A bunch of guys who are destined for camp. You're seeing guys that are destined for spots 30 through 53 on your roster. If I win nasty nasty right now, diehard Patriots fan, how many Patriots can you name off the top of your head? You'd probably give me 25 to 30. Yep. Okay? And the other 23 guys that you need to know as a diehard Patriots fan in sports radio, uh, you know, you're going to find out about those players. In the preseason. For me, it's a big pissing match in the media to see who knows more about what team. And at the end of the day, the the big breakout stars that come out of training camp, they fizzle out. Like J.J. Taylor last year for the Patriots was running all over camp. The guy was oh. irrelevant by week five. Oh, you mean like Jacoby Myers, the Patriots' best wide receiver, who is an undrafted preseason star? You mean like that guy who just fizzles out? The, he, the best wide receiver on the Patriots, you're telling me, is, is irrelevant. Oh, you mean like Victor Cruz, the guy who might eventually end up in the Giants' Hall of Fame, who was a, maybe a seventh-round draft pick out of UMass? You mean like those guys who, I can, who I can don't matter? I can eat my words all, all, all I want on the exceptions that come out. Tony Romo, undrafted. Tom Brady, sixth-rounder. Julian Edelman, seventh-rounder. That come out of camp and they're all of a sudden, you know, all-time talents. But in the great scheme of things, we're not talking about guys that are drafted seventh and past. Half the league is undrafted, Jack. I just I just can't get behind. You can't get behind the guys who you are going to see one time. Like, I, I got behind the whole G, uh, Browns guy last year, Giuseppe. Sheehy Giuseppe. Did you remember that story? Guy was homeless, gets signed yes. to a 10-day, and makes one home run play in preseason, and then he's cut. Okay. Half Tim Tebow, cut. Half the league is undrafted. Half the league. That, that, that is, you can shake your head at me all you want. That is a fact. Half the league is undrafted. So, therefore, half the league went into preseason needing preseason to matter. And half the league made teams based off preseasons. And it happens every single year. The Patriots' best wide receiver is a preseason legend turned now best wide receiver. So it absolutely does matter, and it is relevant. And to find out guys 30 through 53 on your roster is an important thing to do, and it can only be done through the preseason. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The Red Sox aren't playing tonight, and thank God for my blood pressure at that. What should the Red Sox have done on their off day? to help turn the tide back to positivity. We'll get to that next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. 
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on this Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. The Seattle Mariners did just win. They beat the Texas Rangers. They've now gained a half game on the Red Sox as well. So the Oakland A's won today. The Mariners won today. The Yankees will play later. So even in an off day, things aren't happening good for the Red Sox. Here's where it stands right now. Yankees are in front, half game up on Oakland, who holds the second wild card spot. They're a half game up on the Sox. The Sox are two and a half up on the Mariners and three and a half up on the Blue Jays at this point. Can I put a bow in the in the preseason conversation real quick? Yes. I just the other thing that I don't like is because of all these rookie quarterbacks that we have, and there are some battles that are not happening, like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, yep. and Zach Wilson. We constantly hear about uh rookies who come into camp and they underperform, right? Patrick Mahomes had a bum camp when on um, his rookie year. Don't even have to mention his resume since. Same with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones had a terrific preseason, went almost for almost 400 yards in four games and didn't have a single turnover. Now Giants fans are calling for his head. And, I mean, it, Mitch Trubisky outplayed his competition, which I believe was Mike Glennon back in, back in his day. The matter of the fact is, is that preseason has almost, you, you can have the reverse effect on a regular season, and the overhype and the overattention that it gets just doesn't warrant the 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 what we get in the regular. But how season. many times? I mean, I get it. What you're saying, preseason doesn't translate to the regular season either way necessarily all the time. But yeah, how many times in spring training do we hear about? Some minor leaguer who we weren't expecting that comes out and hits 410 in Grapefruit League action, and we get all excited about it. Now, and then they get sent down halfway It doesn't through. get the hype because it's baseball and not football, but we do this overreaction all the time, and it's covered all the time. And that's part of, the, that's part of our job, and that's part of being a fan is getting excited about what you see in front of you and guys that you haven't heard of or guys that you have heard of that maybe no one else has heard of who you feel like you've discovered. On to the Red Sox. Oh, They're out of go. the playoffs as it stands right now. As it stands, 802-585-3026, Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. If you are the Red Sox, what would you be doing on this off day to get back into it? You've got to turn the tide. You've lost three straight. You're out of the playoffs. What would you do on this off day to help stem the momentum back forward? Number one for me, Jack, simply stay away from the field. Take a page out of Karen. I hope the Red Sox have not been anywhere near Fenway Park today. The Red Sox need to clear their heads. They need to be home. They need to be with their families or roommates or whatever they do in Boston. That's where they need to be. It's not always about working harder. It's often about working smarter. Harder. This is a spot where the Red Sox need to work smart, get away from the field, do something completely different, because the team needs to stop pressing. And if they go to the field today or they go hit or throw or whatever, it will feel like to me another extension of them pressing. Because right now, they all look completely frustrated. They need to get back to playing with some joy. And you're not going to do that if you keep coming back to the scene of the crime. They look completely frustrated and tense at this point. You mentioned Tom Karen of Nesson, who was on with us about an hour ago. He said the exact same thing, Jack. I just threw that audio in there if you can find it. It probably wasn't anything, nothing. They should get those players as far away from the ballpark as they can, try to get away from the stench of the last couple of days. 
So Last couple of weeks. I agree there. Stay away from the field. The other thing that I want to see happen for the Red Sox today on this off day is I hope that somebody has had a conversation with Alex Verdugo. I think Alex Verdugo needs a talking to. And it's not, it's not because he's playing poorly. His average is still over 280. It's not because he's not playing well. It's because I think Verdugo's energy has waned right now. And I don't know if it coincides since he was dropped in the order. Remember, he was moved to seventh. He's hit eighth sometimes. He's been dropped from the two-hole. I don't know if it was because he went into that massive slump for a while. And again, he's, he's got seven multi-hit games in the last month. He is hitting better. But I feel like his energy has waned. And for the first part of the year, he was such a tone setter for this team. And I just feel like when I watch this team play night in and night out, I feel like I haven't seen that lately. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe other people are picking up on it. But he doesn't feel like the, uh, the igniter to this team that he was for the first three and a half months. Who was he traded for? He was traded for Mookie Betts. But yeah, I'm not... All right. and, and he's traded for Mookie Betts. He now has the biggest shoes to fill. For the past calendar year, he has been the spark plug on this team. I call him the face. Carabas calls him the face. You disagree. You think it's bogey. I call him the face because he has brought the energy. And now here he is in his first full season with Boston. And he's probably, it's, he's like, dang, somebody else. Come on now. Nah, I did, look. I, and I'm not putting the pressure on him to be Xander Bogart, so I'm not, or to be Mookie Betts. I, I'm not even talking about that. It takes it takes nothing to bring the energy, but to bring it every single day. We talked a couple of weeks ago, you and me, when they were playing the Blue Jays and they were getting their clock cleaned by Toronto north of the border. We talked about them not playing with a lot of energy then. I feel like Verdugo is one of the guys that can get that back for the team. Like, he's a player that can run hot. He can play emotionally. A lot of guys on this team are workmanlike and boring. And that's okay. That's not a knock. Bogarts is boring. J.D. Martinez is boring. They are, they are professionals. Alex Verdugo is a professional in a different way. They need a spark, and Verdugo is the guy who plays every day who can provide it. And I'd like for that conversation today to come from Alex Cora. I think Cora has done a great job at connecting with players. I think he's done a great job at being a mentor, a father figure to a lot of players. He's able to connect with guys. It's one of his strengths. He needs to find a way to convey to Verdugo how much this team needs his effort right now. He's not, he doesn't need to tell him, hey, hit three homers today and drive in seven. Hey, go five for five. But bring the energy. Oh, that yeah. th- that can be the thing that Verdugo does, okay. and the Red Sox need it back. Let me tell you how I think that conversation goes. Brady, you are now Alex Cora. I am now Alex Verdugo. I would say, Alex, understand this. We need you to be the player that you were earlier in the season. Not in terms of production. You're playing well. You're hitting well. You are contributing on the field. But you have so much more to give to this team. And we need you to give that. This team will feed off your energy. And we need you to make sure you are bringing that every day. Going two for four, that's awesome. We need that too. But more than that, we need you to be the spark that you were April through July. Because when you do that, we play better. Skip, remember last year 
when this team was at the bottom of the American League and I was robbing homers and getting hype with no fans in the stands? Remember this year when a Yankee fan threw a ball at my back and I almost fought him? I've been getting into fights for this team, defending this team for over a year, and here we are slumping. I'm still hitting 280. I still get on base. I still play solid defense, and you're telling me I need to bring it? What about this kid you just called up from AAA who can't hit over 200? We're talking about energy. We're not talking about results. And Alex Verdugo would not do that to Alex Cora. I'm Alex Cora has a way of of getting in touch with players that doesn't yield that kind of negative reaction out of them. We have never heard one Red Sox player say a negative word or defy Alex Cora. True, Cora, but I don't think it's Verdugo that has to be the guy that changes his attitude. I'm not asking him to be a different person. I'm asking him to do what he does best, which is play the game with passion and joy. And when he does that, the oh. rest of the team will follow. Speaking I, of Alex Cora, by the way, pre-yesterday's game, there was a story that came out in the Boston Globe. It was by Pete Abraham. And he said the Red Sox aren't just slumping. The Red Sox are just bad. Here's how Cora retorted to that on WEI. We're not bad. We're not bad. We, we, we got a good team, a team that hasn't played well the last few weeks. Uh, but uh, we're not a bad team, you know, and uh, I don't agree with that one. Uh, I've been saying all along since February 15th when we got there to, to Fort Myers that, uh, you know, we're good. We just have to keep working for what we want, you know, get better in a few areas. And I think throughout the season, we've, we've been doing a good job. Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Do you think the Red Sox are a bad baseball team? Because I don't. I agree with Cora. They are not a bad team. They are a slightly above average team. This is why we play 162 games in baseball. A lot of people will say the season's too long or whatever, but over 162, the truth comes out. You can't hide. In 60 games last year, you could hide. It's how the Marlins made the playoffs last season and how they're in last place this year, or close to last place this year. I think they're in last place and might be slightly above Washington, but nonetheless, they're horrible. So you can't hide over 162. We thought that heading into this year, the Red Sox were a, a team headed for right around 500. I had them between 79 and 83 wins, right around 500. They have proven to be better than that. But they aren't the team that we saw from April through July 15th. And they aren't the team that we're seeing now. They are somewhere in the middle. And in the middle of that, in the middle of the best team in baseball, and in the middle of, essentially, the worst team in baseball, is a team that is above average or, or slightly above average. It's unfair for Pete Abraham to call them bad. But it's also fair for us to say they aren't the team that we saw for the first couple of months. He, first of all, you're right. National, our Marlins are in last. Good. Um, second of all, I, I agree. I agree with you. You're absolutely right. These aren't a bad. This is not a bad group of baseball players. They're all very good. They're World Series champions, Silver Sluggers, Gold Glovers, MVPs. Like they're these guys are good, and it's just that this particular setting that they're in. They've been playing a little bit above their pay grade in terms of the competition around them. We all thought Toronto was going to be good. We all knew Tampa Bay was going to be good. And with the Yankees' payroll, they should be really good. So we, they, around them, they were just playing a lot better than we anticipated them being. And here they are kind of being that team that we thought. It just it, The law of averages just comes out to be that Boston has to win a bunch of games in a row. They're going to lose a lot of games in a row as well. And that's just, that's just how the season's gone. And I think they've capitalized, Jack, also on... 
they capitalized on the situations around them. When the Blue Jays were really injured, the Red Sox were winning. When the Yankees were really injured and on COVID, you know, COVID lists for the most part, they won those games. The Red Sox, you know, they capitalized when they had opportunities to capitalize early. Now that other teams are getting healthier, now that other teams are getting better, and you're right, the law of averages is coming back, they aren't getting as fortunate. They are an above-average baseball team. I said it at the start, I believe they're going to the playoffs, and I believe they're going to be in a one-and-done scenario against the Yankees. And we will see what happens then. They are a playoff team. One thing Tom brought up in the interview was something that we've totally almost forgotten about, and it is Christian Arroyo. I mean, guy got guy hurt his hamstring trying to fill those holes at first base. Hasn't been in the lineup, and the team's been slumping ever since. I remember that game. I was on a ferry to New York City or New, uh, to Long Island, excuse me, watching that. When Christian Arroyo, Tom's right, he's got to be at second base. Kike's got to be in center for this team to be at its absolute best. Uh, whew, what? Eh, no, that's not going to happen for the team to be at its absolute best. That's not going to happen because I know you got to fit Schwarber in there, right? right? So now. that now it's different, but Arroyo. Brought more to this team than I initially gave him credit for. Oh, yeah. I will say everyone, that, so. everyone thinks that, yeah. All right. Brady Farkas show here on this Thursday on WDEV. Remember, no Thunder Road tonight because of the bad weather. Make sure you are safe out there if you were driving. That last check still pouring here in Waterbury. We will have a full dinner jazz tonight beginning at 7 o'clock. Patriots football tonight, 7.30 against the Philadelphia Eagles. I told you what I was looking for in this game. What are the experts looking for? in this game. That's next on DEV. Now it's back with Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. I'm going to tell you a story. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder that our full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. I told you earlier in the show what I was looking for in the Patriots game. I want to see Aguilar play and play well. I want to see the line, and I want to see Kyle Duggar. How about some of the others? Longtime NFL player and Super Bowl champion with the New York Giants, Sean O'Hara. He's part of the NFL Network's coverage of this game and of the entirety of the season on NFL Network. Here's what he wants to see tonight. Of course, we're all watching the quarterback. I want to see some vertical throws. Uh, okay. if you go back to that first preseason game. It was a lot of checkdowns, a lot of passes to the running backs, a lot of dump-offs. Cam didn't, you know, look, he got two series. He didn't do a whole lot. So I want to see the vertical passing game. But with that comes pass protection. All right. You want to throw the ball down the field, you better protect your boy. So he wants to see the line also like me, so that's fine. But as far as he wants to see Cam in particular throw the ball downfield, I don't think the Pats are going to force the ball downfield today, even in a preseason game that's meaningless. Like, they're going to be missing their tight ends. Smith and Henry won't play today. The offense is, is incomplete at that rate. So I think you're going to still see Cam especially hit the short stuff underneath. And I wouldn't read too much into what happens downfield tonight from either guy. Like, if they don't have their tight ends, they're severely hampered. So I think you'll see some check down stuff. I think you'll see some intermediate stuff. But it all does pose an interesting question for the offense. Like, how would they overcome a regular season game if they didn't have those guys? They'd have to find a way in a real game. I just don't think they're going to try to find that formula tonight in a preseason game. I think you'll see more runs, which will aid Cam. I don't know that Cam will run himself. In fact, I would expect that he probably won't run, at least by design, in the preseason. But I think you'll see more runs overall, at least early. Last week, we saw a ton of passes, especially from Mac Jones. So I think we see more runs. I don't think they force it. I think they do a lot of underneath stuff. Maybe they do take a shot at some point to Aguilar if he's on the field, but I don't think that they're going to force this today. Um, 
There was another interesting quote, though, on Good Morning Football that I want to get to before we get out of here. Peter Schrager of the NFL Network. Jack, he was talking about this preseason game and its overall meaning. And I want to hear what Peter Schrager had to say. So the fan base... I think a lot of them have a lot of heart for Cam. They want to see it work, but they know that Mac Jones is a launcher thing. And in that building, I can't tell you anything opposed to that. I believe it would be their ideal situation where they're like, Cam's the one and Mac's the two, and let's all play and let's get ready. And when Mac's ready, he'll do it. It hasn't been that. Mm -hmm. I think Cam and Mac are still battling it out. And it's August 17th. Mm -hmm. I think this Thursday night game against mm -hmm. the Eagles, as much as it's a preseason exhibition and Cam might play two series or might play three series, I think it still matters. I think it's significant on who becomes the long-term quarterback this season. Mm -hmm. The beginning of that quote is what's interesting to me. I don't care can, can about... Can play it again? Really? I don't... Hold on. I don't care about the last 25 seconds. The beginning is interesting. Play like the first five seconds. So the fan base, I think a lot of them have a lot of heart for Cam. They want to see it work, but they and, know... Yep, okay. absolutely, 100%. So that is the only part of that quote that matters. Peter Schrager says... He thinks that New England fans are rooting for Cam. They have a lot of heart for Cam. Based on my experience on this show and on Patriot social media, I think that that is completely wrong. Oh, Brady. I think oh, that, Brady. I think that most Patriots fans are rooting against Cam Newton. No. 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 What? Patriots fans, Jack are rooting against Cam Newton. I have they, yet to meet one of those people. They w then step into my mentions on any particular Sunday or any text message here when I'm talking about my, you know, All right. my love text for Cam. Text in. Are you rooting for Cam Newton? Simple yes, no. 802-585-3026. Are you rooting for Cam Newton? I think there are a lot of people rooting for the Patriots, but they don't want Cam Newton to be the guy to lead the Patriots because there's a lot of different reasons why. Fans are smart. They know that Cam is not the future. Of course. And they want the future solidified. They want a long-term solution because they had a long-term solution with Tom Brady. Patriot fans are trying to get to the future now. They're generally not interested in a stopgap. They want the long-term to be established. In fact, I think a lot of Patriots fans feel like NFL Network insider Kyle Brandt does. Number 10, Mac Jones, let's go. Take control of this thing. I'm ready. Let's start it. I'm getting stir-crazy with all these guys, be it Mac Jones or Trey Lance or Justin Fields. I would love just a shock and awe from Mac tonight. I, I mean that. I'm talking two touchdowns. He goes 9 for 11, looks sharp. He runs a little bit. I'm ready for this to start. Number 10, he's ready. The music is not from you. The music no, is from I know, the background I, I of the know, clip. I know. I thought I'd try to end it early. <laughs> so... All right, Lou says he's rooting for Cam, uh, he's rooting for Mac Jones, but he likes Cam. Okay, so he's rooting for Mac Jones. I think most Patriots fans are rooting for Mac Jones to be the guy because they suffer from the grass is always greener disease that Kyle Brand is talking about. We spend so much time, to your point about overhyping things, we spend so much time in the draft and leading up to the draft thinking that the quarterbacks are the next wave. Every quarterback is the best quarterback around. And if you take a first-round quarterback, you're guaranteed success. That is what fans think. So they are itching to get to that future because they think the quarterback is the sure thing. The first-round quarterback is the sure thing. They want to get there as fast as possible. And Cam Newton's not that guy. He's not going to be here for 10 years. His body wouldn't last 10 years. And his skill set, frankly, even though I love him and I want him to start this year, his skill set's not good enough to start for the next 10 years. People want to start the future now. And the other reason they like Mac Jones better 
is because of what I railed on earlier this week. Mac Jones plays like Tom Brady. He looks like Tom Brady in the way he moves in the pocket, <laughs> in the style of offense that he plays. He, Mac Jones reminds people of Tom Brady, and that's what Freddie Coleman of ESPN told me yesterday. Well, put it this way. You and I are the only two on that bandwagon yeah. because I'm with you, Brady. Nobody else is on that bandwagon because I even said that last week. I know that Cam Newton is going to start, but, boy, it seems that a lot of people, whether it's fans, whether it's media in the Boston area, even the New England area, are hoping that that's not going to be the case or that Cam Newton falters early so Mac Jones can get in there. It's part of that whole seduction of Mac Jones because they saw they saw it Alabama, and they also they look at a guy as Tom Brady part two, to be completely honest with you. They, but here's something else. They look at him. Well, here's something else is me talking. They look at him as Tom Brady part two. Yeah. They want the future, and they want... What they had in the past. They want a little bit of both. Phil in Middlesex wants Mac Jones as well. Look, look, I, look, I want Mac Jones to be great as well. But in Cam Newton, there's times where he's on the field and he makes you want to rip your hair out because of the throws that he makes and the decisions that he sometimes gets himself compromised up into. But at the end of the day, I look at all of these first-round quarterbacks and I can maybe pick out four that I would take on day one. And that's like... Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, we haven't even seen him in regular season action yet, and maybe a couple of like Peyton Manning when he back when he was playing. You we just, have you seen. Just don't take... We have seen now, recently in the last couple of years. This is a new phenomenon. We have seen rookie quarterbacks be successful. It used to be you had to sit to be successful, but now we see rookies who can come out and be good. Lamar Jackson gets to the playoffs year one. Patrick Mahomes not. He wasn't a rookie, but it was his first year starting. Mm-hmm. He comes out and gets to the playoffs. And look at how great he People was. People have seen the immediate returns on young quarterbacks, and they want their guy to be able to do the same thing. Cam Newton is old hat in this league to a lot of people. And Patriot fans are itching to, one, recreate the past, and, and Mac Jones' style of play is the past with Tom Brady, and they want the long-term future. They saw the 20-year marriage with Tom Brady, and they figure, okay, how can we get to that again? Well, Mac Jones is the guy that we're married to. We might as well start the marriage as soon as possible. Patriot fans, I'm not going to say they're actively rooting against Cam Newton. They want the team to be good no matter what. But Patriots fans would rather see Mac Jones in the starting pole position because of what he does uh, you know, and how he plays. I and, will die on this hill. Yeah, Patriot, trust me, the text line's proving it. Patriot fans are rooting for Mac Jones, and they're not rooting as high for, or not rooting as much, rather, for Cam Newton. And, uh, you know, it's also because Cam doesn't feel, you know, doesn't feel like people to one of us. He wasn't here that long. It doesn't feel like New England. People are looking for the next guy who can, you know, ingratiate themselves into New England. Pat's Eagles, we'll have the recap for you tomorrow we'll get ready also tomorrow on the show for patriot for uh, red sox and rangers as the sox look for a couple of wins dinner jazz with john wilson is next he's part-time jack i'm brady check out the podcast on apple Podcasts and on spotify we'll see you tomorrow dinner jazz is next right here on wdev am and fm